Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture here, the the last part of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. Uh, We'll talk about uh, different things that are necessary in in order for the church to to be what God wants it to be, in order for us to do uh, the the work that God has called us to do, in order for us to not just have the the form, but also the function of His church, it's important uh, that we pay attention to the things that we're going to talk about tonight, because without the Spirit of God, uh, we're not going to accomplish what it is God wants us to accomplish. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2 And we're going to begin reading with verse 11, and we'll read down through verse 4 of chapter 3. Paul says, For among men, who knows the thought of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? I suspect that almost everyone, probably everyone here tonight knows who Bert and Ernie, the Cookie Monster, and Big Bird are. Of course, if you don't know, I'll tell you, they're among the Muppet stars on a popular children's show that's been around for a long time called Sesame Street. During the filming of each show, I don't know if they still do this or not, but it used to be that some lucky parents were able to bring their children onto the stage to be a part of the program. Well, one time following one of those shoots, there was a man who played the part of Big Bird. His name was Carol. He climbed out of the Big Bird suit on stage to the amazement of one of the little kids on the set. Mom, the stunned toddler yelled, do you think Big Bird knows he has a man inside of him? What do you think? Did Big Bird know he had a man inside of him? Or more importantly, did the man know that he had a Big Bird costume on, I guess you should ask. Of course he did, right? But the question that I want to ask tonight 
And it's really a much bigger question, a much more important question for us to consider. Do we realize as Christians that we have something, not something, rather someone inside of us? You remember when Jesus was talking to his disciples prior to his death, he told them that when he left, that he would send the Helper or the Holy Spirit. John 16, 7, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And you know, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 38, we're promised that whoever repents of their sins and is immersed in the waters of baptism will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to dwell within them. Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 tells us that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is our seal, the seal of our salvation. He marks us as being owned by God. Look at what he says. In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. So He promised the Spirit. He's given the Spirit to those who have obeyed the gospel. And he says that the Spirit seals us or marks us as belonging to God. In fact, he goes even further than that. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 tells us, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. Do we know that we have someone, the Spirit of God, living in us? The Holy Spirit is our connection, our constant connection with Jesus Christ our Lord and our Father God in heaven. The Holy Spirit, you might say, is the part of God that lives within us. That's why Paul wrote what he did to the Corinthians. And I want you to look again at what he said in verses 12 through 16 of chapter 2 of our text. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world... That's important to know, isn't it? But the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. What's Paul telling us here? He says when we have the Spirit of God within us, we're able to have the mind of Christ. Now let me make sure you understand what I mean by that. The mind of Christ... that sounds, that sounds like a really big thing, and it should be a really big thing. But exactly what does Paul mean by that? What it means is that with the Spirit of God dwelling in us, we have the ability, we have the potential, through the teaching of the written Word, to think 
like Jesus if we live up to the potential that He's placed within us. If we allow the Spirit to work in us like He wants us to allow Him to work in us through His Word, the Spirit in us, we have the potential to train our minds through the Word to think like Jesus. However, without the Spirit of God, there would be a lot of stuff about God we just couldn't understand. And a lot of times that poses a big problem for a lot of people. Three atheists sat in the hotel lobby of an old-time hotel. One of them said, uh, I will not believe anything that I don't understand. Neither will I, said another. Neither will I, said the third. Now it happened that they were overheard by a Christian farmer who was sitting close by, and uh, he smiled as he overheard their comments. Gentlemen, he said, On my way to town this morning, I saw some geese in a field eating grass. Do you believe that? Well, they shrugged. Well, certainly, they they said. I also saw pigs eating grass. Do you believe that? Well, of course, said the three. And I I saw sheep and cows eating grass as well. Do you believe that? Of course, uh, was again the reply. The farmer then said, well, the grass turned into feathers on the backs of the geese, to bristles on the backs of the swine, to wool on the sheep, and to hair on the cow. Do you believe that, gentlemen? And certainly, they said. Then the old man smiled again as he asked, but do you understand it? Because we have the Spirit of God, Through the teachings of the Word and the Spirit working with the Word, we can know things about God that this world can't understand. Sometimes we're puzzled as to why the world doesn't get it. It's because the Holy Spirit's working in us, and He's not working in them. He'd like to work on them, and maybe we're the avenue that He wants to work on them through. But the world... They just can't understand a lot of things because they don't have the Spirit of God. I read about a a representative of the gas company who phoned the owner of an expensive new home. He called to make an appointment for the serviceman to come in and light the gas pilots and adjust the furnace. And uh, when he was talking to the owner of the house, he, he said, I'd better meet your man out there when he comes or he'll never get the furnace going. Well kind of offended the the guy on the other end of the phone and he insisted his people were well trained and wouldn't have any trouble you don't understand the owner said when your man tries to adjust the furnace he will go out of his mind he said the thermostat in the entry hall of my home is just a dummy I put up for my wife to play with only I know where the real one is hidden not very nice was it (laughs) But you know, just like that, the Spirit of God helps us to know where the secret things of God are hidden. Do you see that in verse 12? However, without the mind of Christ, without the Spirit of God living within us, there just would be a lot of things we couldn't understand. We wouldn't be able to understand the nature of God, why He does the things He does, or why He did what He did in the days of the Old Testament. We couldn't comprehend the deeper secrets of the Bible, of the beautiful truths that God wants to share with us. That was a problem even in the days of Jesus, was it not? 
In fact, he began to speak in such a way that those who were listening, even though they had ears, they didn't hear. Even though they had minds, they didn't understand, except for those who were really in tune with him, right? The Bible tells us we won't even know how to pray as we should without the Spirit's help. Romans 8.26 says, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Do we understand the importance of the Spirit of God? Do we understand the role that He wants to play in our lives, that we need Him to play in our lives? But perhaps thinking about this, you say, well, I'm a Christian. I've done what the Bible says a person needs to do to be saved, but there are times when I don't feel like I understand all that much. There are times when I don't feel like I'm connected to God. There are some times when I feel like I'm inadequate. I really want to understand all that the Holy Spirit has to give me, but I don't quite know how. If there's such powerful depth to the Holy Spirit, well, how do I get to that depth? Well, I know that you are aware that those who, that those are, there are those who want to tell you that if you want to understand the deeper things of God, if you want to tap into the Spirit of God in a powerful way, you're going to have to learn something that only they can teach you. You're going to have to hold a, get hold of a special spiritual gift that they can offer to you. Or you're going to have to speak in a tongue that you've never learned, develop a prayer language, they may call it, or experience some physical, special manifestation of the Spirit's power. And sometimes such individuals will imply that you and I don't even have God's Spirit because we don't do things their way. Now, I want to tell you that type of teaching is not anything new. You know, back in the first century, the Apostle John wrote to the early church saying this, These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to, to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you received from Him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as His anointing teaches you about all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in Him. The anointing He's talking about is the Spirit. You see, in the early church, in the first century, there were false teachers who were telling the Christians that you've got to understand our teaching and you've got to do things the way we tell you. And when you do, then you'll have the Spirit like you should. And John said teaching like that was leading the Christians astray. A case study in the, the fallacy of such teachings is the church at Corinth. And that's why we're looking at the Corinthian letter tonight, the 1 Corinthian letter. In 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 and 2, I want you to notice Paul chastised that congregation by telling them that they were unspiritual. How could that be possible? How could it be possible that they were unspiritual? Now, Corinth, when you, when you think about the church at Corinth, if, if you've read the letter, the 1 Corinthian letter, maybe you say, well... Aren't they the church that boasted of having all the spiritual gifts a congregation could possibly want? You now Paul talks about all those various gifts they were so proud of in uh, chapter 12. If you'll turn over there for a minute, I want to read a few verses uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
You might want to hold your place in chapter 3, but uh, flip over to chapter 12 and notice this list that he gives in verses 4 through 11. Chapter 12, verses 4 through 11 And he's addressing their attitude about spiritual gifts. He says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. And to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. So then... If they had all these gifts that they were so proud of, particularly the gift of tongues, if they had all these gifts they were so proud of that were available in that day, why is Paul telling them they're unspiritual? Apparently, being spiritual doesn't have as much to do with the gift as it does to do with your relationship. The answer is found in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 3, if you want to look back at that. Or he tells them, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? There's the key to understanding why he told them they weren't spiritual. They were jealous of one another. They were quarreling with one another. They were acting like mere men. I read about these two young sisters who spent the day fighting with each other. And that evening as they were preparing for bed, they were still mad at each other. As usual, as they did every evening, they knelt beside their beds for their prayers. Well, the eight-year-old girl began saying, Dear God, bless Daddy and Mommy, bless our cat and our dog. And then she stopped. Well, her mother, being there and hearing this, gently prodded, didn't you forget somebody? (laughs) She glared across the bed at her six-year-old sister and then added, oh yes, God, bless my (laughs) ex-sister. That's the kind of thinking that the people in Corinth had developed toward one another for various reasons. They had a lot of spiritual gifts, but they also had a lot of spiritual problems. The people at Corinth, they didn't have the mind of Christ. They weren't thinking of the way that Christ would think. They weren't allowing the Spirit to affect their heart and their mind. They weren't thinking like Christians. They were really thinking like pagans. To put it bluntly, there was too much of the world in them and there was not enough of the Word in them. If they wanted to be led and filled by God's Spirit, then they needed to think differently than the world did. The same is true for us. We've got to think differently than the world thinks. Well, how could they learn to think differently than the world does? How can we think differently than the world does? I believe the answer to that is found in Ephesians chapter 5. And I hope you'll turn over there with me. I want to read a few verses 
Ephesians 5, and I want to read verses 15 through 21. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. Paul says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. We know that's right, don't we? So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. In this letter to the Ephesians, Paul kind of talks about some things regarding how we can be filled with the Spirit. And he starts out with a comparison. Don't get drunk with wine, that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Why would he tell them that? Why would he need to tell Christians that they shouldn't be drunk with wine? You know, such behavior uh, would seem so obviously wrong, it would almost be illogical for Paul to need to mention it, wouldn't it? In this setting, I really don't think that Paul is trying to lay down a moral injunction that they're not aware of about drunkenness. He spells that out in other places. But it seems he mentions that moral restriction here, with which they were certainly all familiar, but he does it for a purpose. To establish a contrast between the controlling effects of alcohol and the controlling effects of being filled with the Spirit. A lot of times we like to talk about don't get drunk with wine, but we forget about be filled with the Spirit. Visualize yourself for a minute outside a neighborhood bar. Imagine you see the drunks coming out the door. The alcohol controls them. You've seen it, I know you have. It controls how they think. They don't think very clearly, do they? It controls how they speak. Their language is slurred. They say things they would never consider saying otherwise. It controls how they behave. They have trouble even walking in a straight line, not to mention the other things that they do. Well, what is Paul trying to say then? Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. What's the point of that? See, being filled with the Spirit is being under the influence of the Spirit. And that means God's Spirit ought to control how we think and how we speak and how we act. Do you see the comparison he's making? Now if I want the Spirit of God to fill me in a powerful way, if I want to be led by the Spirit, and I hope we all do, if I want Him to control how I think, if I want Him to control how I speak and how I act, then I've got to make my heart a comfortable place for the Spirit to dwell. You know, I've been given the Spirit in baptism, yes. But if, if I don't maintain my relationship with God, if I don't maintain my heart as a place where He wants to stay, does the Bible not give us the picture that He will depart from us? 
I've got to make my heart a place that he's comfortable in. An atmosphere. My soul needs to be an atmosphere where he wants to stay. Well, to do that, Paul gives some helpful instructions that we could follow. Right after this command in the next few verses, verses 19 to 21, he says, I ought to surround myself with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In fact, not only should I surround myself with them, I ought to be singing them to you and you ought to be singing them to me. Encouraging one another with that. I need to learn to give thanks for everything and thus create a grateful heart. Well, that's done and cropped up again, hasn't it? We talked about that Thursday night. You see how important it is? And I need to be subject to other Christians. What? The last thing was the key to Corinth's problem. And it's the key to a problem a lot of people face in churches today. Being subject to other Christians. That would have been the issue if they had corrected it. That would have changed the people at Corinth from being unspiritual to being spiritual. If it wasn't for the jealousy and the strife and the problems that they were having with one another, they would have been people capable of understanding the deeper things of God if they would have subjected themselves to one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Did you ever notice in the following verses of Ephesians, uh, from what we just read, Paul goes on to talk about, and one of them gets highlighted a lot. He talks about how wives should be subject to their husbands, but then he says something else about how husbands have a certain level of subjection to their wives. He talks about children having a level of subjection to their parents, but also the parents have a level where they have to be subject to the children. Slaves to their masters, masters to their slaves. Did you read that? There's a, there's a, a dynamic that's supposed to be in place, and... The slave owes this, the master owes this, the husband owes this, the wife owes this, the children owe this, the parents owe this. There's a level of subjection on both sides. And something that I've always noticed, and I hope you do too, Paul never discusses what we should expect of others, does he? Instead, he tells us about what we should owe to others as submissive servants of our God. He doesn't tell us, you make sure that this one does this for you and that one does that for you. He says, no, you make sure you do this for them in the role that you're in. You know, oftentimes, conflict in the home, conflict in the workplace, at school, and in the church comes about because what do people want? They want everyone else to be submissive to them. Isn't that right? Not the other way around. You know, when we get it in our minds that others need to serve our needs and understand our desires and do what we want, that's when it causes conflict. That's what causes fighting and quarreling and jealousy, and that's when we end up acting like mere men, even though the Spirit is in us and should be controlling us. Because that's when we reveal that we still have the mind of the world, the mindset on the flesh, and not the mind of Christ. But if we have the mind of Christ, if we set about having the Spirit 
filling us by surrounding ourselves with Christian music and an attitude of thankfulness and, of course, other things, but most importantly here, having this attitude of servanthood and submissiveness to one another, then not only can we avoid the fighting and the quarreling and the jealousy, when we actually practice what is taught here, we can heal the wounds in others' hearts instead of making those wounds worse. By the way, I'm going to tell you something. The type of wounds that we often inflict on one another in the church, they don't often heal themselves. A lot of times we want them to. But we've got to play a part in that. I heard a story about a preacher from St. Marie, Michigan. And uh, apparently there was a man who desperately hated the preacher who lived there. The preacher said he didn't know quite why. So every opportunity he had, he made it quite clear that he despised the preacher from the local church of Christ. An example of that would be if the preacher was walking down the street and a man was coming from the opposite direction walking his dog, he would take his dog and cross over to the other side of the street because he wanted to avoid the possibility of having to talk with the preacher. He didn't like him. He made it clear. Well, it was obvious to everybody, and the preacher, like I said, he didn't know why, so he gave this a lot of thought. He put a lot of prayer into it. One day he decided he was going to do something. He went out for his morning walk as he always did and uh, as he's walking down the street, sure enough, here comes the man that hated him walking his dog as usual. And as usual, the man took his dog and went across to the other side of the street to avoid the preacher and so what did the preacher do? He went across to the other side of the street too. He walked right up to the man and this is what he said. He said, you know, I've been admiring that dog of yours. What kind of dog is he? Well, stiffly the other man told him what kind of breed it was and the preacher just thanked him and went on his way. The next day, the preacher again deliberately approached the man. He asked him something else about his dog and he did this day after day. He'd ask him things about his dog or or, or other things like that. What do you feed him? What vet do you use? And we could go on with the list of things that he, he used. And eventually the man heart softened and he began to cross the street to greet the preacher and engage him in conversation what did that preacher do he subjected himself to his enemy he showed love for something that the man cared about and by doing so eventually he won that man's trust and confidence By doing so, he showed that he truly had the mind of Christ. Let me ask you, isn't that exactly the kind of things others need to see from us? But if that's going to happen, we've got to put aside ourselves. We've got to surrender to the will and the leading of the Spirit of God within us. We've got to cultivate the kind of heart and life where the Spirit of God wants to dwell and work. And we've got to humbly serve others with a spirit of submissiveness. I know that's not a popular word, but it's a biblical one. So that we can meet them where they are 
and so that God can use us to lead them to the place where they need to be. And that is being one with Him. And when they're one with Him, they're one with us as well. Brother Chad, would you come lead us in the invitation?